Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. How are we doing this morning? We all good? Uh, thank you for the team. That's great praise and worship this morning. And uh, I, love, uh, I love church. And uh, often I feel like it's often I'm the guy that has to get up and do this part. And so sometimes you just want to be the guy that sits there and goes, oh, this is so good. And then, oh, that's right. I've got another function sometimes to do. But um, yeah, thanks, team. That was really cool, guys. You led it really well. And um, yeah, so cool to be here. And, and as uh, Josh said, yeah, we, uh, I met Josh and Liz at Shout Conference uh, last year, bit of a shameless plug for Shout Conference, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. You're welcome. Uh, and yeah, we, we chatted and I just love meeting new people. I think it's the, the best thing. I'm a pretty much a 100% extrovert type guy, so a lot of you are like, typical one of those guys. And uh, my wife is 100% introvert, and so we have an amazing relationship, as you can imagine. And I just love talking to people and getting to know their journey. And these two are just amazing people, and I really want to honour them. It's, uh, but what these guys do is pretty unique. And uh, I just want to say, uh, church is in good hands. And uh, it's just cool to come down here and see different expressions of church, which I love. And I love the body of Christ and what he's doing around the country. And, uh, and then, yeah, Josh and I had a coffee, how, I don't know how many months. I know one coffee leads to the next. You never know, right? And uh, life is just endless coffees for me. And, um, but we had a chat and we just thought, yeah, it was really cool. And, and then uh, Josh sends me this sort of awkward text. Hey, do you, like, do you come down and do you, do, you, do you speak at different places? And I said, yeah, but like only if I'm asked to. And uh, so he says, you want to come down here? And I'm like, yeah. And then we had this sort of awkward, yeah, yeah, okay, fine, fine. We got a date, yeah, yeah, and back and forth. And then we managed to arrive on this date. And uh, so thank you so much for having me. And I just want to honor you too. You're just amazing. And I think um, that whole thing about Esther, you know, Esther was in the right place at the right time, you know, for such a time as this. And just as we're worshiping, I just feel for you guys, you know, you're in the right place at the right time. And this is a good thing that's happening. And uh, I want you all to know this is a good thing. And these are great people. And so can you just honor your pastors? Come on, they're just awesome. And uh, yeah, it's great. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to come down. That's all right. I'm going to come down here, stretch the legs a bit. Uh, I, uh, I'm married to Fiona. I have a, a photo of our family here. This is my wife, Fiona. So uh, last month, we've been married for 20 years. And uh, we've been going out another seven years before that. And so that's her there. And these are my three sons. This is Zane on the right. He's 13. He just started year nine or form three in the old terms. And uh, Seth on the left is year, is year seven. And my little son, Abe, in the middle is uh, year two. And so 13, 11, and six. And they're just amazing. And uh, I feel pretty blessed with my family. I'm very happily married. I love my kids, and I love what God's doing in our family. My son, Seth, on the left here got baptized in our church last week, which is real special, and so I thought I was okay, and I sort of, sort of you know, prayed with him, and, then we, and, and as we were about to do that, I was like, hey, Seth, you got the words out, and we sort of dunked him, and then I'm like, okay, cool, and then we had a few others to do, and the family was praying for him, and, uh, and I'd finished the others. We had about six baptisms, and then I came to the end, and, and as I started sort of praying for him, I sort of wrapped him in my arms, and then, you know, and that's the word I gave him to this day. I don't know if he knows what it means, but uh, it was special. It was a real special moment. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'm the pastor of a Christmas church in Monaco City in the heart of South Auckland, and that's where I'm born and bred. I'm from South Auckland, very proudly from South Auckland, and, uh, and my wife and I were born and raised there, and we've been the pastors of the uh, Auckland City campus in Equippers for sort of five years, and then I was sort of 
morphed into an executive role for a couple of years. Then we went to Equipus Church in Napier. So we were there for four years, pastoring the Equipus Church there, and saw God do just some extraordinary things in Napier in the Hawke's Bay. And uh, the weather in the Hawke's Bay is no joke. It is amazing. And uh, so we did that. And then for the last uh, just over a year, we came back into Monaco City to, to be the campus pastors of, of Monaco uh, for Equipus Church. And, so, and God's just done incredible things. And we've just launched a third service and seeing a bunch of people get saved. And, and God's men, God's good. And we're just believing for more team and more people to get saved because I just know that no one can change the condition of a human heart like Jesus. No one. I've seen no one, no thing, no person, nothing can change their heart like Jesus. And I think we've got to remind ourselves of that. Amen. He's so good. And that's why he's good. And uh, so today, oh, by the way, I love, the, I love the, um, the verse that you guys are doing. You know, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves. And pray. I love that verse in Chronicles. And, uh, and today, I guess I want to kind of, I don't want to touch so much on that verse, but I love at the start of the verse, it talks about if. <laughs> the first word is if. So there's a suggestion that it's not a when thing, but what if it was when? When my people? What if it was just a matter of timing and not a matter of if my people? And I've always been struck by that verse. And I, and I want to just turn your attention this morning because I kind of want to talk about what it is to let your light shine. This is something we say as Christians, and if you're not a Christian, you'll get an opportunity at the end of the service. Don't worry, we'll leave you out. Uh, but as Christians, we often talk about let your light shine. Right? Let your light shine. And, and uh, in Matthew 5, 16, there's a verse. says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So there's a kind of this awesome suggestion that if our light is shining, people go, wow, look at Josh. Look at what Josh and Liz are doing. That's amazing. There must be a God. Look at the life that we live. There must be a God. That makes sense? When we live our life, when we let our light shine, when we let what's on the inside come out of us, it's like there must be a God because of what God is doing in you. And this verse is really super challenging for me. And, and I guess my life, I want to live an attractive life. I want people to look at Jake and hopefully go, man, there's something about this guy that's different. There's something about his life that talks about something bigger than what he just wants to do in his own life. This, this, when I first became a Christian when I was 17, I can still remember, I don't know if you remember your first church service, if you're unsaved and you kind of came in and you didn't have a church family, there'll be a moment you came into a church and you see things for the first time, people lifting up hands and you go, oh, that's a little bit odd, you know, and saying things and, okay, what's going on there? And you're trying to figure everything out. But afterwards, there was a supper. Back in those days, we used to have suppers after at someone's house, and so we'd all have you know, ice cream and things like that, and you'd talk to people. And I remember at the end of that night saying to someone, you have the most amazing bunch of friends in the whole world. These are the nicest group of people I've ever met in my life. Just being overwhelmed with a whole bunch of lights shining. They didn't know because they're kind of in it, and maybe they're blindsided to it, but you've got to realize as Christians, we, have the, we live the most amazing lives. We really do. Amen? We live the most amazing lives. And God's saying, come on, I want what's on the inside to come out so that people see it. And when they do see it, they go, there is a God and he's good. And that's what helps to continue to connect people to the gospel. And so I, I love this thought of, of, of you know, moths being kind of attracted to light. It's called, I think it's called positive phototaxis or something, where moths are just attracted to lights. And again, I live in a house with three boys. And uh, often we say to the boys overnight, hey, don't leave the toilet light on. Well, you can leave the toilet light on, but don't leave the window open. Right? Because what happens, I don't know if you've been raised with boys, but boys figure out that they can wee but multitask at the same time. So they'll be talking about, 
right? And so I've thought for ages that the house that we bought had yellow tiles. I realized that it wasn't yellow, they're white tiles. But such is the level of intensity of the urine on the floor. And so what happens is in the, in the morning you wake up and the, the light was on because sometimes the boys, you know, little boys still need the lights, toilet light on at night. And then there's this, there's this like moth genocide on the floor because the moths are sort of flying. They can't get away and they hit the floor and all of a sudden the urine sticks to them and they go, ah, I can't. I don't know whether they get asphyxiated by the smell or whatever it is, but there's this horrible scene that I come to in the morning. My wife, you imagine, she loves it. Oh. Can you boys not hit the bowl? And when I said to her one time, love, even I sometimes, even I. I'm just saying, I'm not perfect in this area. To which she was like, you're part of this? You're part of this whole thing? And uh, however, I love the fact that moths are drawn to light. It's how they actually orientate. They used to orientate by the moon. And now because there's so many lights in our world that they're just drawn to light. But I like to think that that's, we're drawn to the light. You know, we're drawn to light. It's how we get orientated. Jesus is our great light that orients, orients us in life. But so often today, people aren't being orientated by that. People aren't waking up on a Sunday morning going, you know, I've, I reckon I might go to church today. Yeah, let's just do it. Come on, let's all get the kids in the car and Google local churches, Christchurch. People aren't sort of doing that. People aren't usually rocking up off the street and just coming into church. You notice that? It's not the thing, we talk about church, and I love Pastor Glenn Bateau's in the States, and he's spoken at Shout a few times, and, and he'll, he'll say to people in the street, oh, what church do you go to? And they're like, oh, I don't go to a church. And he's like, what? Are you crazy? You don't go to a church? And I love the fact that he assumes everybody goes to church. But we kind of, these days, people aren't going to church. We're living in this such a, a post, uh, it's not even a post-Christian, it's this kind of secular age where people aren't just thinking about these things anymore. I think they're thinking about spiritual things, which I think is a huge opportunity for us, especially over lockdown. Every lockdown service, as you know, in Auckland, we locked down, I think it was 16 Sundays last year we couldn't meet, and then a whole bunch of them already this year that we couldn't meet. And every time we come back together, more people come out. Honestly, God's been amazing, because I think there's a hunger. People want to know what's going on, and they're, they're searching for answers. And I think we've got to be shrewd about how we share the gospel with people, but that's another story for another day. But they're not just rocking up. And I, but I love the, the Bible, the Great Commission, is to what? It's to go and make disciples. It's to go and reach people. So if we can't reach people in here, then we need to go out of these doors and actually find a way to reach people. That's why I love this verse, because it's not as complicated as maybe we think it is. It's maybe simply around, actually, if we allow the light to shine, the light that we just sang about, the light that, that, that just shone so, bro- so brightly in our worship just before, if that light shines in every sphere of our society, it's amazing what we can do. And again, people will glorify Jesus because of what they see in us, which is, I think, a huge opportunity. I, I had this thought um, that I sort of was researching a bit that says inherited religion is dying, but that doesn't need to be the case for people who choose Jesus. So I don't have Christian parents. They were for a while. They were Mormons for many years, which really put off my siblings who aren't in church. So I'm still the only one in my family. For 20-something years now, I've continued to be praying for my family, and I'm continuing to pray for them. So every time we think of someone that's you know, close to you but far from God, I go, okay, my family, come on, I've got to continue to be a light to my family. But people aren't, there's, there's, we're in this sort of age where we're like, man, people don't even understand the Bible, or because the Bible told me so. We sing the songs, remember, as kids, but people don't know what that means. I don't believe in the Bible, and straight away our faith is like, what? You have to, though. And so we're kind of getting into this world where we've got to figure out 
ways to reach people. And I kind of just want to share three quick things with you this morning. Three quick things that kind of in my life, I've tried to figure some things out. I'm, next Sunday, I turn 45. And uh, I don't know whether that's the age you go, oh, I figure some things out. But you know when you start seeing kids in our Bible college that I go, oh man, like I'm mates with your dad. Like we're friends and you're in Bible college. And it's a bit of a weird age to get to, I think. But um, but if you're taking notes, and if you've just got a super amazing memory, you can memorize them, but I usually can't, so I usually have to take notes to go back to things. But I want to give you three things that really hope that you can characterize your life around. And the first thing, if, again, if you're taking notes, is, is to live a life with a disruptive love. Disruptive love. I love this thought, that our love for each other should be disruptive. Disruptive love. Talk to your neighbor and say, disruptive love. Disruptive love. We can disrupt each other in the service. It's a disruptive love. And so I want to give you this example of light. This is light kind of emitting in waves. This is how light kind of looks. It kind of, it kind of comes in this sort of form of, of, of sort of beams of light that kind of, that kind of go out. And again, we've probably seen a picture like this, but light's more like that. It's more like actual waves. And, and this is kind of, we often see this picture and we go, oh yeah, cool, the stone dropping in the water and the, the ripples and that kind of thing. But this is really how kind of light is also Shared. This is how light kind of emits. And, and there's a couple of things about light that kind of link to this thought around this disruptive love. The light expands and radiates in all directions. I think when we disrupt people with our love for one another, it actually doesn't just reach us. It has this kind of, you know, when a light bulb fills a room, it doesn't just fill one area. It's not a kind of a monodirectional thing. It kind of fills the whole room. I still don't know how that happens. There's probably clever people that do. But I know it fills a room. Darkness has to flee when light comes into the room. It doesn't work the other way around, which is why light always wins. And so it interferes with other waves. Light bends around corners. So there's, there's unintended things about light, about disruptive love when we love people in the way that Jesus loved us. We, we get to kind of have these moments where it carries an energy and a momentum to it. And then it interacts with matter, whatever it comes up against. Light hits that thing. And I think for, for, for our love to be disruptive, we've got to kind of disturb things. When I read the Gospels, I get really upset because I think, gosh, the Gospels are really brutal. They force you to go, I've got to do something with this. I can't stay the same by reading the Gospels. I can't read about Jesus' parables and go, gosh, that impacts me. Years ago in our Napier church, people would come to the church and they would say, and I would ask them as a pastor like you do, how did you find us? And then, and then so what do you think? And they go, we love coming here because we feel slightly uncomfortable when we come. Isn't that a good thing? Not because the seats were too hard, right? Not because there was no seats, but they felt uncomfortable because they go, we, were, we weren't quite sure what was going to happen. And we, we were a little bit excited by that. So we felt like when we walked out of the door, gosh, we really thought, man, we need to do something with this. You know, when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, there's that great story. Oh, people are saying, oh, they're drunk. They're, they're filled with wine. It's only like nine o'clock in the morning, right? They'd be a pretty bad state of affairs if that's the case. And it's almost like the disciples are looking around and, I think Peter's like, I think this is my time. I think this is what I was born for. And then we read these famous words, Peter steps forward and he addresses the crowd. He preaches this amazing sermon and 3,000 men, not including women and children, were saved kind of in one sitting. And again, it's the sense of Peter, as Peter preaches, they ask him, it says they were pierced to the heart. And they said, Peter, now what would you have us do? That's a great question to ask. What would you have us do now? And so we've got to disrupt each other. In, in, in my life, I love doing things that disrupt things in our community with, with just acting out the love of Jesus. Because I think if I can't reach people with the gospel in a way that I can't 
I can't preach to people in a supermarket. Like, I just can't do that. I don't know how. I don't have an authority with people. I don't know who they are. They don't know me. I know there's some people that can do that really well, but for me, I can't do that. So I'll do stuff that disrupts people. And so if I see, I saw a lady, it was about six o'clock on a Monday morning, and I realized, probably like she did, there's no food in the pantry for the kids' lunches, right? Bad father. I said I was a good father before, but I have my moments. And, uh, and I went there and I grabbed a few things and packets of chips and things like that that you do. And I can see the trolley, you know, I can see it's on the little conveyor thing and there's her stuff there. And she had similar items to me. She'd obviously done the same thing. It's like now 6.15 in the morning. She hadn't had lunch for the kids prepared. And there were some other household items. I remember there was a big bag of onions and there was some you know, washing detergent and things like that. And straight away, you know when there's a moment that's happening where you're kind of like, she's not going to have enough money to pay for this because there's a conversation that's taking place and I know in those moments, I've got about 10 seconds to respond, right? I've got 10 seconds to respond because I know that I've got the means to help this lady and I know that I can't preach this stuff and not do it because I want to disrupt people. I want to know that, man, people need Jesus. And so, so the lady kind of gets half the items and she goes away and I kind of think, man, her kids are probably going to go a little bit hungrier than they were last week today. And yet my kids, I've got everything that I need for my family. And, and, I, and I remember saying to the lady real quick, the cashier, how much is it? Because she just saw my face and I think she was like excited too. And we're like, the ladies go, I got to buy the stuff. What is it? How much? How much? And she goes, I don't know. It was like 20 bucks, 30 bucks. I said, add it to my thing. Quick, go, go, go. God, I'm helping her pack. You know, she's getting really excited and she's smiling at me. And like, what a great thing to do. And I'm like, I don't right, but I've got to find the lady. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck with a whole bag of onions that I don't need in my house. And, and so she gets all the stuff together and I kind of race down the road. And I say, I need two bags. And, and then I, I, I just see the lady. She was just getting into the car. So I just found her. And I'm kind of standing there like, you know, by the car. And she just looks at me like quite frightened. Like, who is this guy that's running up to me? And I, and I said, here, here's your items. And then I found myself saying, you know, God bless you. <laughs> you know, that's what you say as Christians, eh? God bless you. And it just came out before I thought about it. And then she says this response to me. She took a moment and I could see she was emotional. And she's like, and she said, God bless you. And I walked away and I'm like, oh, that was a close one. You know, and then I sort of got my stuff and, and I thought about it afterwards. And it was like, when she said this, God bless you, it was like, and again, I'm, I'm sort of hypothesizing, but I felt God give me a nudge to say, I think she'd been in church years ago and I think she hadn't been for a long time. And I think when she sees someone do something like that, that's so disruptive. Don't know this guy from a different culture. We're never probably going to interact again. But if I can have one interaction with her that I just say, hey, God bless you. That's the one thing I can say. Like, actually, truly, I want God to bless your family. This is not something I say as a Christian. It's something I really want God to bless you. And I want him to, and he's blessing you through me. And how cool is this that we get to do this? And I, want, and I wonder whether she processes it. I wonder when she goes home where there's a partner or a husband in the house or there's some kids and, and they come home and she goes, man, I just, here's the story. And she retells it to her family and they go, wow. And then he says, God bless you. And I wonder whether somehow that rekindled some of her faith that she might have had a long time ago. I like to think that that's the case. But so often in the Bible, we read about these stories and we don't know the ends of them. We don't know what happened to the rich young girl. We, don't, we just know he walked away sorrowful. We don't know the endings, but I love the fact that we can begin a lot of things for people by disrupting the love that we have for other people. Amen? So we've got to live a disruptive love. We've also got to live, second thing, is a distinctive life. A distinctive life. Light has a tendency to to shine a spotlight on you. That's why I think we shy away from it, because none of us like being in the spotlight. We feel that when the lights are on us, our lives are exposed. 
How many times you sat down in front of someone and then they tell you something, oh, 16 years ago this thing happened and you're like, you've been holding on to this thing for so long, but when the light shines, you kind of go, I've got to, there's a point where I've just got to get this out. So often we see people saved in church and a fraction of them get baptized. Why? Because there's something about standing up in front of people and publicly declaring your face that the devil hates. And when the light shines, it's, we've got to do something about it. And so the, the fact that this, this distinctive life is one that is recognizably different from others. It's recognizably different. I love the story of, of William Wilberforce. He's just one of my great heroes of faith, a great slavery abolitionist. And, uh, and there's a great book called, called um, Amazing Grace. that you can, It's a fantastic read for your faith. And, uh, and basically, he, he, after 20 years of being in parliament, he gets this, 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 this uh, law passed, or he gets the abolition of slavery passed, but really it didn't fully happen until three days before his life ended. And so he gave his whole life for this cause. But he reaches this moment in the, west of, in the west of England where he's standing there with one of his kind of confidants and he knows that if he starts putting this agenda out there in the House of Commons, he's going to be shut down because there was a lot of money that was coming from slavery that people didn't really want to think about. And he knows that if I kind of cross this line, all of a sudden, people are going to see me differently. And, and he had a whole bunch of people, you can read about the Clapham sect, and this whole thing is amazing, that people were encouraging him and saying, come on, you're in the position that can actually make a difference in, in our world. The reason that we think slavery is so abhorrent today is because of Wilberforce. The reason why it's so disgusting for us to think about people are actually in slavery today, some 30 million people, is because of him. He changed the whole way that we think about this. It's the most amazing story. But he knew this was, he called it, this is one of the great objects of his life. This was the thing that he was there to do for his entire life. My wife Fiona and I are talking about it. But what we started to start to think in our kind of mid-40s, like, what's the object of our life? What is this thing that when we go to our grave, we go, man, Jake and Fee had an impact in this part of the world. This is what they were about. Because I think it's good for us all to think about it. We're never too old or too young to start thinking about these things. What am I here for? You might be a builder, and that's cool, but how do you... You don't want to go to your grave going, I was a really, really good builder. We built a lot of houses. If someone gets up and gives you that as a eulogy, it's like, yeah, cool. Like Jake was a great guy. Really encouraging. Then it's kind of like, is there anything else that he did? You know, I think it's Bill Johnson at Bethel that said, the only things we get to take into eternity are the deposits that we get to make in people's lives. And I think, what a cool thought. We get to deposit something in somebody else's lives. But our lives have to be distinctive. People have to kind of go, you're a Christian. Oh man, I, I thought there was something different about you. It's this, it's this kind of crossing the Rubicon moment. Julius Caesar, when he, when he marched back from Gaul, if you, were, if, you were marching, if you were coming back to Rome and you were kind of in the garrisons and that kind of thing, you would have to disband before the, the river Rubicon, which was in the north of Italy. Because if you hadn't disbanded, they would thought you were going to march on Rome and actually try and sack it and try and take over. So they would have to disband. And there's this famous moment where Caesar's standing there at the Rubicon, and you can kind of see images that sort of depict it, where he's sort of like this, and he's going, I don't like what I see in Rome. I reckon I can take over. But if we cross this river and we are still in formation, there's no going back anymore. And it's, that's where the phrase kind of crossing the Rubicon comes from. Once I cross over, there's no turning back. That's a distinctive life, isn't it? Where there's no kind of plan B. I love planning, but I kind of think in so many ways I've put myself in a place where Jesus has to come through or else I'm screwed. Like there's no plan B. When we go to three services, like when we went to three services, I'm like, man, God, there's no plan B here. This can't fail. 
Because I know God was in it. We'd prayed about it as a team. But I'm still the one that's got to carry it. Hey, church, we're doing this. I was hoping there wasn't going to be like eight people and a, a dog that came out to our first 915 service. Because everyone would have gone, oh, you see, told you it wouldn't work. Why did you step out of faith? Because that's all I have. My life has to be distinctive. Your life has to be distinctive. It has to distinguish ourselves from the noise that's out there. And we have to make a difference in people's worlds. For many years, I worked in corporate sector. I did a marketing degree, but I was always in corporate sales. And my first job was at Vodafone. It was in their corporate sales for six years. And I can remember just the debauchery. If you're you're old enough and you know a movie called Boiler Room, there's a whole bunch of people making a lot of money and having this kind of wild, hedonistic lifestyle. This was the environment I was in. We were all earning a lot of money. And and I can remember I I would never drink. I I would go to all the parties and all the stuff, but I would never kind of participate in it. I think God just helped, just, just kept me safe. But the respect and the integrity that I had with the team, if I said something, people knew, man, Jake's got an authority here because we know that he's never involved, he's never involved in any of the stuff that was going on. I can remember a guy sleeping with five other girls in the office, like in the same office. And we all knew, and it's like, bro, what's wrong with you? There was just stuff going on all the time that we just thought, man, someone's got to do something about it. We would get kicked out of venues, kicked out of campsites because they go, you guys can't back here anymore. Our, our Christmas parties would always be in the news. I would have to go and stand to partners of law firms the next day and they would say, we just about pulled our business away. And I'm like, I'm not involved in any of this. I agree with you. It was just so wild. And yet in the midst of it, I got to go, well, I've, if I'm not here, then who was going to be? I've got to hold some sort of a line. I've got to live a distinctive life. I've got to make sure that I'm different, that I'm holding a different line. And that's not easy, but we've got to be able to do that because I think, again, it disrupts our world. Yeah? Disrupts our world. And finally, we need to live a dissatisfied life. A dissatisfied life. And maybe the band can come up and play some beautiful tunes as I finish this off. But we've got to live a dissatisfied life. Now, this is, again, a weird thought because I find that we, we, we... I guess as being a pastor, and, and maybe you find this in your world as well, there's always the gap between the thing that you see and the place that you are now. I see something, but I'm here now. I see lines out the door in church. I see us influencing every area of society, all these mountains of influence, but we're here now. And then I read a tweet and I go, oh my gosh. And then I see a news story and I go, why are we talking about this stuff? And then I see someone's done this and someone's done that. And I kind of got to be careful not to be too down and kind of go, man. And I love Stephen Furtick. He talks about this message, and you might have seen it online, where he gets people to walk forward, and, and then he goes, stop. And, and we kind of get frustrated with our life, and we go, oh, man, God, I want to be further forward than I am. But he kind of goes, but that's where I want to be. And he goes, but that's where I was, and I'm not where I used to be. And it's a healthy thought to kind of go, I am actually feel like I'm moving forward. We are taking some steps of faith. I'm never where I want to be. And so we've got to kind of learn to live with this healthy dissatisfaction. I call it like a caterpillar faith. You know, we, we stretch out. I can't, I, don't, I can't really do a caterpillar. You know, we lunge out, right? And then we kind of like pull together and then we kind of, hey, church, we, we're going to do this. And we sort of stretch out again. And there's a bit of a gap and we're all feeling it a bit. And then we kind of, but when we, I love what we do for like shout comments because why there's thousands of people and I kind of go, what if this was just church one day? What if we're reaching that many people? And so it helps my faith to get in bigger environments. Well, I think it's good for all of us to get in some bigger environment. And then we come back to church and we go, come on, we can believe for something bigger. We can believe for bigger things. We can believe for, why? Because people matter to God. 
Not because we really, not because I care about having big crowds of people, but I care about each individual person who's got a story. Everyone who's saved in our church, we've seen 122 people since the start of the year saved in our church. And every one of them has a story. Everyone has a testimony. That's so powerful. A girl who's at Bible college and her dad, they've been praying for him for 20 years and three weeks ago, he comes into a service because he was invited and he gives his heart to Jesus. His life has radically changed. And there's so many, and then I kind of think, man, I can believe for my dad then if if her dad was saved. And so, you know, Bill Hybels wrote a a famous book called Holy Discontent. Holy Discontent, it's still well worth a read. I know Bill's Bill, but you know, his stuff is still good. And Holy Discontent is a really good read. But I love, you know, in Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that we don't yet see. That's the stuff that we've got to hold on to in your own life. What's the stuff that maybe for some you prayed for so long and you're like, oh man, was the last time I prayed for that? What do I do? Stop praying for my dad? That can't be good for him. I believe when I pray, and I love what Josh was saying, you've got a prayer meeting, I think, Monday night. Please come and pray because that's all we have as Christians is to pray. So many of us, if I ask for a show of hands and I don't need to, how many want to see God move in a certain area in your life or in your family's life? Every hand would go up. And then we do pre the next night and we go, where is everyone then? It's true. We want God to move, but sometimes we're not prepared to do what it takes to actually see Him move. And I pray this is challenging because I get challenged by this one myself. I really want God to move and God said, well, Jake, come on, you've got to lead. You've got to lead. Your life has to be distinctive. You've got to continue to find ways to disrupt people. And so going into these three services at the start of the year, I knew it was a God thing. I talked about it. But man, I'm still having moments with God to go, God, you have to do this, man. You have to come through. I don't want to have three small services. Because you know what everyone will say? Oh, but Jacob, it was so fun when we had the big auditorium and everyone was in there and had this great sense of community, you know. Why, it was fun. It was nice. It's nice. It's nice when you stand up and, hey, everyone. And the room's full, and you're like, this is awesome. But then God says, yeah, but Jake, we can't live here. There's still more people to reach. And I go, yeah, can you just give me a little bit longer, though, just to kind of bask in this, this is a cool moment. And God's like, come on, we've got to keep pushing out. People start bringing family, and they start bringing friends. And people are reaching out in their worlds and their workplaces. We had a guy saved in a small group before he even came to church. How cool is that? I love the fact that we, we don't want to just see people saved on Sunday. We want to see people saved on Monday. There's so many opportunities for us to reach people. He was saved, came to church one time and then was baptized the following week. And he stands up in front of the church and he goes, my life is different. Another guy, Josh, was standing there. And you know, we, we give people the chance to testify. We say, hey, tell, you, tell the church your name and why you're getting baptized today, kind of in 30 seconds, which usually takes about nine minutes for most people. However, and he stood there and he's just, for, for probably 60 seconds, he just starts crying just tears streaming down his face and I sort of got that awkward moment of like do we move mm, you know and do I move on do I just grab the mic from him and he's there with his partner and they're just bawling their eyes out and I thought man that's the most powerful testimony I think I've ever seen just crying because he goes man my life I once was lost and now I'm found I was blind but now I see but only Jesus can do that only Jesus can change the condition of a human heart in Monaco City, you know, growing up in South Auckland, you, and police helicopters are everywhere. You, you're so familiar with the police helicopter going above, always searching for a bad guy. And it happens all the time. Every weekend, there's this, this, the sweet sounds of the police helicopter. Just do, 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 do. 
It's just so familiar now. And I said to our church, you know, what if we didn't hear the police helicopter anymore? What if we could reach so many people that there's no bad people anymore and the police helicopter doesn't have to go up in the night sky? I remember waking up many years ago in our, in our backyard and there's the police helicopter spotlight in our backyard and guy running through the back. And there's just so many stories of stuff like that's happening, I thought. And now when I've said it to people, people are like, we're really praying that there's no police helicopter anymore. We're praying that we get one weekend where we don't hear it and we go, oh, that's really cool. Because people are just satisfied with what they see around them, but what we're called to see, this new Jerusalem coming down. And I keep looking out and I go, we've got to do something. I love Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale is actually related to our family. And, uh, and she said this, she said, were there none who were discontented with what they have, the world would never reach anything better. If nobody was upset about anything, you know, then the world would be no better. We've got to be upset about something. There's got to be something that triggers you to go, that's the thing that I'm going to fight for. What I love about my wife is for many years, she's just known since she was 15 that the plight of children in the Pacific and Pacific children, the health and welfare of those children, that's always been on her heart. To the point where she's done a PhD, she's studied, she's done all the things that she needs to do so that she can impact the children of the Pacific. That's all she wants to do. She's the most inspiring person in the whole world. But she's known that was the object of her life. We're going to help people. We're going to do whatever it takes. There's no turning back anymore. And I'll finish with this thought. And I read a story about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a famous evangelist in America in the late 1800s in Chicago. And he was preaching this message. And he, at the end of his message, he heard, he heard the sort of... Um, I was going to say fire engines, but it was 1871, so there was no fire engines, but he heard fire sirens going off. And it was the start of the Great Chicago Fire. And what he'd done is he'd preached a message and then he said, I want you just to meditate on that for a week and then come back next week and we're going to talk about it. And so, and as he was doing this, they, they sing a final hymn and they were singing this hymn as the sirens were starting to go off in the city. And people were sort of, is that me or is that the siren? And they sort of left and then they realized, gosh, the whole city was on fire. And he lost a bunch of people in this congregation that day, a bunch of lives in his, people, in his church and many homes were destroyed. And, and he made this comment. He says, I have never since dared to give an audience a week to think of their salvation. I've never since dared to do that. Because I think for our salvation, we've got to think of two things. We've got to think of what are we going to do with what we now have? Just like Peter said, are we pierced to the heart? Are we living lives where we go, God, I've got to do something with this. I've got to reach people. We all have a sphere of influence that we work in. There's people you can reach that I can't reach, and I can reach people that you can't reach. But all of us out there, seven days a week, doing what we do, coming in on Sundays and celebrating God, and then going back out and saying, come on, there's people that we can reach. Come on, that's a life well lived, a life that serves other people. And for me, you know, when I was 17, I, I had a cardiac arrest. I, I died for like 15 minutes. And I was mowing lawns. My dad was a lawnmower man and we were mowing lawns. And I was pretty fit. I was training for a half marathon at the time and, and jumped back in the van. It was a Friday morning and sort of clutched my head and shouted and then sort of slumped down next to my dad. He thought I was joking and, and said, are you okay? And I, and I wasn't obviously non-responsive and started turning blue and he's like, something serious has happened. And so he raced to Middlemore Hospital, which was again about a 15-minute journey. And we get into the ambulance bay and... The security guard comes out and says, you can't park here, and then realizes pretty quickly what had happened. He says, here, bring him in, wait here, I'm going to get people. 
It was a neurologist, cardiologist, they came and they sort of induced a coma to release any kind of swelling on the brain. And so effectively I was gone, but there were machines breathing for me and you know, that kind of thing. And this was on a Friday, a whole bunch of people started praying. I'd been saved one year. A bunch of people start praying and doctors were saying, look, man, and Fiona and I were going out. This is the first year of kind of us going out with each other and she got called in and doctors were like, you're going to have to prepare for the worst. This is pretty bad. He's not probably going to make it through it. And if he is, he's going to be severely brain damaged and the oxygen to the brain thing is the big worry. And, and so all this kind of happens and then the next morning, I'm sitting up eating breakfast. Hey, is Fiona around there? Completely, you know, completely healed and the doctors are like, to this day, Fee knows the doctor. And he goes, he's quite a well-known doctor, wears a lot of floral shirts. And he said, to this day, I still remember that kid coming in and there's no way that he should have survived. And, and I kind of go, man, there's, you know, there's purpose for my life. <laughs> but don't have a cardiac arrest to know that. <laughs> That's a hard way to do it. <laughs> but we don't have a lot of time. And I think there's an urgency in all of us to go, come on, there's people that we can reach. I think for each one of us, we kind of got to know that. And how about for a moment, can you stand to your feet? Because I just love to pray. And I just love to pray for all of us. So how about for a moment, whatever posture that you need to assume to get into God's presence, maybe you need to close your eyes or lift a hand. Or, But I just love to pray for you as we close because I just want to tell you, God truly loves you. He sent His Son Jesus to die for you. We celebrated that last week and we celebrate that every Sunday and every day that we are children of the resurrection. That's such a cool thing. He's such a good God. And so what I want you to do, just for 30 seconds, I just want you to reflect on what you've heard. Just like Peter, when they shouted, God, Peter, what would you have us do? So just for a moment, how about, come on, you just ask God, God, what would you have me do now? Where's God placed you? You've all got influence. You've all got people that you can reach. Come on, allow God to do something right now for 30 seconds. God, what would you have me do? Maybe for some, there's a person that you know you need to call. Maybe for some, there's an area of unforgiveness. Yeah, I've got to forgive that person because I've been holding something for too long. And I know that if I'm ever going to break through, it's going to, actually the issue is me. Maybe it's a family member that you know needs restoration. You're going to reach out today. You're going to do something. Maybe there's that conversation on Monday morning around the water cooler in the office that you're saying, gosh, you know, there's, there's the person that's been asking me about what I do on Sundays. And I've kind of been talking a lot about Saturday and a lot about Monday but I'm missing what I do on Sunday. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you're kind of going, oh, what influence have I got? You've got huge influence. You've got a home that you can bring people to. You've got a whole bunch of moms that are feeling isolated and lonely, not knowing how to parent kids, are struggling with that, and you're like, I can help with that. I can bring them into a, a community that can help them, that can nurture them, that can love them. Come, whatever it is right now, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're in this place. Thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. And this morning, God, we thank you, Father God, for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing and what you will do even this week, God. As we continue to reach people, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your word that it nourishes us, God. And Father, I thank you right now for even this week for just crazy, disruptive acts of love. I thank you that we would go out this week and use our time, our talent, our treasure, our resource to continue to find ways to disrupt the world because of what Jesus did in us, Lord God. I thank you that it's good news. May the world know that it is good news that Jesus came and died for them whilst they were still in their sin. 
I thank you that we would live such a distinctive life as to distinguish ourselves from others. I thank you, Father God, for that healthy sense of dissatisfaction that's in our lives right now. That, Father God, you'd continue to help us to wake up every morning knowing, Father God, you give us vision, knowing that we're not going to perish, Father God, because you put something in front of us that continues to draw us into your presence, God. And maybe you're here just while all eyes are closed. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. Friend, can I just say, it's not enough just to come to church. It's something about what God can do in your heart. Sometimes you just got to give over to God. He's so good. But He wants to be Lord and Savior of your life. Savior means it's cool, we get access to heaven. That's great. But He's made us for purpose. And I love the fact that He becomes Lord over your life. That means when you give your heart to Jesus, every decision that you make in your life, you now filter it through the cross. You now filter it through Jesus. Every relationship. Every conversation, every thought, you now go, what is, what, what, how do I filter this through the resurrection? How do I filter this through the cross? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. And if you're in this place, I just want no one else is moving around. If you're in this place and you say, Jake, I just want to, I need to get my heart right with Jesus this morning. Maybe you're far from Him. Maybe you're just in a really dry place and saying, I need to come back to Him today. Come on, if that's you, just want no one else looking around. If that's you, just give me a quick wave and say, yeah, Jake, I want to get my heart right with Jesus this morning. Just lift your hand up real quick and I'll see it and I'll ask you to put it down. And if you're in this place, you're saying, Jake, I need to know that maybe Jesus is real. If you realize maybe I've maybe lived the faith of my parents, but I really need to know that actually He's real. I want to bring my heart in connection with Him today. If that's you, just give me a quick wave and say, yeah, Jake, can you pray for me? Just looking around if that's you. Oh, God's a good God. He loves you so much.